Disclaimer. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of the New American Magazine. They're submitted for your entertainment and consideration. You should consult your doctor before considering expending too much strenuous energy on these controversial subjects. If you don't have medical authorization, consider this invitation as your permission slip for independent thought. This is Under the Iceberg, hosted by Daniel Natal, co-hosted by investigative researcher Jenny Silcox, as well as publisher for The New American Magazine, Dennis Barron. In addition, the panel is pleased to include the mysterious Sid, a man broadcasting from his undisclosed underground command center. Tonight's episode is dedicated to exploring the idea of electromagnetism's effects on the human body. Chapter 1. The Premise. In the 19th century, when Michael Faraday suggested the idea of an electromagnetic field, his concept was denounced as pseudoscience by the Royal Society for Science in England. Scientists at the time claimed that what he was describing was influence at a distance, which was tantamount to magic, they believed. This was the same scientific community who in the 1600s denounced Newton for his idea of a gravitational field, claiming that it, too, was influence at a distance, hence magic. Of course, Newton and Faraday were right, and fields existed. Not only did they exist, but they exerted force on particles within their sphere of influence. In the 21st century, we're only starting to understand how electromagnetic fields influence DNA. When DNA was first discovered in the 1950s by Watson and Crick, they looked at the double helix strands through the eyes of a chemist and never considered that DNA might have another function. They had no idea that DNA vibrated and interacted with electromagnetic fields. On the PubMed website, there's a study published by Martin Blank and Reba Goodman entitled DNA is a Fractal Antenna in Electromagnetic Fields. Dr. Michael Levin has a lab at Tufts University in Boston and is a researcher in developmental biology. He says that just as sound waves can cause elaborate shapes to appear on a metal pan of salt, with each frequency causing a different fractal pattern, so electromagnetic fields seem to have the faculty of interacting with DNA to cause the shapes of certain cells. For instance, what makes an ear cell form? or a hair cell, or an eye cell. Dr. Levin argues that electromagnetic fields determine these shapes as they interact with the genetic material in DNA. Highly malleable cells like stem cells and cancer cells are especially receptive to electromagnetic fields. By manipulating electric fields, Levin grew eyes on the tails of tadpoles. Dr. Robert Becker showed most of these principles 40 years ago in his book, The Body Electric. He showed that by controlling electric fields, you could help burn victims and help salamanders grow tails back properly. He also had a book called Cross Currents, The Perils of Electropollution. At any rate, that's the premise. I know Jenny's going to be chomping at the bit to weigh in. So Jenny, you have the floor. Oh, where to begin? Uh, I'll, I'll start, oh, several years ago when uh, I spent a lot of time uh, working in research and development electronics. Uh, starting with a company called Datex Omeda, we made light-based medical monitors, and uh, I was working in electromagnetic compliance at the time, and so mainly having to um, do various engineering tasks associated with making the making sure our medical monitors didn't have uh, crosstalk with various other instruments. Um, for example, you wouldn't want a uh, noise in a, an electronic instrument like a pulse ox to shut down the ambulance navigation system uh, for a helicopter amb ambulance, which is what our product did. And that was why 
uh, Daytex Omita was so hot on making sure that we were compliant with all the European standards. And uh, so electromagnetic fields, you can't see them, smell them, and generally you can't hear them. But um, more and more these days, people are coming up with what they're calling electromagnetic sensitivity. And uh, they're finding with the proliferation of Wi-Fi and all the Gs, 3G, 4G, and 5G, that uh, some people are experiencing uh, really bad health effects when they're in proximity to a field generator. And then when they're out in nature and they're away from towers, they feel a whole lot better. And so I started investigating the, the actual human health aspects of this. And I've, I've been doing that for several years because it started out with a concern that um, um, the monitors and various equipment used in medicine are easily affected by uh, five, well, not just 5G, but electromagnetic fields of any sort. But I have a whole lot of data and I've done several shows on, on the exact effects. And uh, I guess we'll get into that. Well, bef before we um, move on to Dennis, I wanted to just play a clip really quick of uh, Dr. Robert O'Becker, whose uh, words kind of reminded me of the uh, resistance experienced by Newton and Faraday when they first talked about their theory of fields, right? Like electric fields. That was today. We just take that for granted, right? But it was controversial at the time. Same thing with gravitational fields. They, they, they looked at it like it was like magic. But anyway, let me let me play the clip. The problem that uh, was faced more recently, and the rest of this business comes out of the environmental aspects of it, where, where uh, you have a problem in that very small, very low power, very low frequency electromagnetic fields had definite biological effects. Now, science is, is, is kind of funny. Uh, modern science is no different than science in the 1600s or earlier, uh, and uh, it, uh, it, it doesn't like to, first of all, it, it has several characteristics, the first of which, foremost of which, is it doesn't want to change. Uh, every scientist generally likes things exactly the way they are, uh, because that's what he learned, and let's not rock the boat. Uh, but the, uh, uh, the problem, uh, the second problem is, is that science wants to say, well, there has to be a reason. This has to fit into a certain mechanistic uh, position, that we have to have a way whereby this is reasonably, we can reasonably say, yes, it, it, it could possibly work. And uh, when you're talking about extra low frequency, very low power electromagnetic fields, from a physics point of view, there just simply was no possible way that these kinds of things could influence the operations of a chemical system such as the human body or anything else that's alive for that matter. Uh, and uh, as uh, work went on in this region, a number of people began proposing that it was not really a simple business of the power of the electromagnetic field but the subtleties involved in the frequencies of the electromagnetic fields, the strength of the Earth's geomagnetic field itself, that operated together in a, in a series of, uh, of well-recognized resonance phenomena. So, uh, w Dennis, would you like to weigh in on that? Well, there's a lot of things uh, that he's talking about there that are interesting. Uh, you know, when you talk about 
science being, I think he didn't use this word, but science being semi-conservative and that it doesn't want to uh, adapt to changing information. You know, we see that for sure now when we're supposed to follow the science with regard to COVID, for instance. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what the actual scientists are saying, what the lab results really are, but the politics of it are, well, we have these preconceived notions of what the science says, and by golly, we should just adhere to whatever that is, and we should stop looking for other information. But so that's the that's one view of science, and I think that's the conservative sort of approach to science that I think is uh, very much relied upon by uh, the mainstream media and our, our, our political uh, system currently. But then there's real science, and real science is the fact that uh, it's understanding the fact that um, the universe is something we're trying to understand. We have limited information, so we see phenomena. We, we want to gain insights into how those uh, phenomena occur. And so we create hypotheses and we test those hypotheses and we retest the hypotheses and we develop results and we gradually claw our way forward to better understanding. And that process assumes that there's going to be change in our understanding because as we, we better understand some things, uh, we're going to have to forego notions that we've discovered are wrong. Uh, we're going to falsify some of the things we once believed. Uh, so uh, the, the public, I think, should probably come to comprehend better, and uh, I think the media does a disservice when it uh, d doesn't allow the public to comprehend further that science is actually the process of investigating phenomena so that we change our opinions as to what may be happening. We, we understand better what was going on. And EMF in particular, you know, when we're talking radio frequency and other radiation, uh, that is an area that is uh, still of great deal of research interest. And, you know, there are certain principles that are pretty well uh, understood, uh, but in terms of the impacts on biology, I think that's still an area of very great research interest. And there's many, many discoveries and intriguing things that are being revealed in that area right now. Well, you reminded me of uh, Max Planck's famous quote at the outset when you were, when you started. You, you said, you know, that science is very conservative, uh, or at least institutionally, the institutions that you know are the purveyors of science. And uh, Max Planck famously said, you know, science progresses one funeral at a time. Um, you know, where where we want to believe that people will go where the data leads, but there's so there's so much resistance you know, emotionally, far more so than you would assume. And th and this was in back in 1901, before, you know, it, it got even more kind of corrupted by grants, by the grant system, by the military industrial, you know. So um, there's all these barriers to actually follow, you know, kind of science like where it actually might lead because it might get you in trouble. Um, I wanted to play a second clip before I move on to Sid. And this one is by a guy named Dr. Uh, Michael Claridge, and he is uh, talking about the effects, the, the concept of uh, EMF fields on uh, biological systems. The 70-year-old central dogma of biology states that DNA isolated inside the nucleus causes all shapes and forms to appear. What does Levin's result show? That an electric field external to the nucleus caused the shapes and forms to appear when and where they did. It does not mean that the fields create the form itself, but it does mean that the field can cause the shape to appear. What does this mean for the central dogma? Things get really tricky because Dr. Levin is altering the genes in the cells, which cause more ion channels to form on the cell wall, 
which causes a different electrical potential of the cell relative to its surroundings. So you could argue that the DNA is controlling everything. But the argument has become muddied. Why does the entire eye form in the electrified location and not just pieces of an eye? And how is it that we instinctually know that the eye should not be in the stomach? So one of the things before I move on to Sid that, that kind of jumped out at me in reading David Hume, right, in uh, Treatise of Human Nature, he talks about the cognitive lapse that most people are susceptible to because we're such visual creatures, right? So because we're visual, we always look for a visual solution to something that might not be visual, which is why there was resistance to the concept of Faraday's, you know, electric field. You know, the idea that something invisible could be affecting something was anathema to the, the scientific community at the time just as it was in Newton's time. And uh, I, I kind of liken it to if, if two men are standing by, say, for instance, a, a, a rod of uranium, right? And both men get sick from the rod of u- uranium. They're not immediately aware that there's radiation there because it's colorless, it's soundless, it's odorless, you know, especially primitive man, let's say. And so their, their, their idea would be, their natural idea would be, hey, Bill just got me sick. Bill infected me. Look, Bill was, Bill has these radiation symptoms. Now I have these radiation, I, sh- I must have gotten them from Bill because I can see him, you know? Whereas in reality, both he and Bill were infected at the same time by this invisible force, you know? And so people didn't like understand that. So we always default to a visual explanation because it's the simpler explanation. It's the more quote unquote obvious explanation, even if it's wrong. Like H.L. Mencken's famous, you know, quote, you know, for every problem, there is a solution that is simple, elegant, and wrong. And so we'll, you know, so Hume complains about that regarding the scientific community. So Sid, do you have any uh, thoughts on the matter? I believe science has become a religion today where anything new is criticized beyond belief. I mean, any research that points to maybe negative or that us upgrade, because uh, I put this, we're in the fourth industrial revolution. Everything is upgrading. Technology is spreading everywhere. There are a few sanctuaries left where you can just go on nature anymore, you know? Yeah, no, that that's a great point. I wanted to hit this guy's uh, quote too. Um, he was an executive at Vodafone. And he was talking about the effects of electromagnetic fields on biological systems and how, just as I was saying, you might get sick from radiation poisoning, but you're not going to blame the thing that's invisible that you weren't aware of. You're going to blame Bill, who you could see. You know? um, and so let me let me just play the clip just to get your uh, you guys' reaction. I was the head of the largest business unit at Vodafone, their headquarters in Newbury between 2013 through 2015. Um, I was privy to a number of the new technologies that were coming down the pipe that was going to be implemented, namely the Internet of Things and secondly, the 5G technology. The 5G frequency is a very high frequency, very, very, very high frequency. It is just below the classification of a weapon. uh, And I'll tell you why. The frequency that they're using, which is 10 times faster than 4G, unfortunately, when it comes into connection with human bodies, causes cell poisoning, cell poisoning. So our bodies try to fight the radiation that is in the form of cell poisoning because of this frequency. It is effectively radiation. And what happens is our bodies uh, kick out the toxicity or toxins with some proteins and some DNA, RNA from our cells 
in the form of a chemical which is called a virus. So most diseases are excretions from cells that we are trying to pull out of our body or push out of our body. And it will head towards orifices to be excreted or um, expunged out of our body. So our noses or our mouths. So you can understand the picture I'm painting. So what's happening, sorry for the detail, but this is going to take a bit of time. What is happening is that um, 5G, the frequency and the power, which is 10 times more powerful than 4G, is reacting adversely with human cells, causing cells in our bodies to be poisoned, toxic, and our natural defense mechanism is pushing out that toxicity in the form of a virus. So what he's basically calling uh, a virus is in the form of a virus, but really what he's stating is that we're basically being toxicified by EMF fields and that our body has damaged cells. The, the body's response is to get rid of those damaged cells. So, it, you know, gets rid of them with mucus. So it looks like a virus. It looks like you have the flu. But in fact, you're actually suffering the the symptoms of, uh, you know, kind of mild radiation poisoning. So, um, Ginny, oh uh, what, what, what was so your thought? That is full of inaccuracies. That guy <laughs> ran the business unit. He didn't run anything scientific, and you can really tell. Yeah. Um, where do I even begin? Go ahead. <gasps> I'm glad you're beginning, Jenny, because that was the same reaction I had. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, number one, I believe instead of what what he was referring to as viruses, I think he might have been referring to exosomes. But I'll get to that. Um, he's equating radiation sickness and 5G, and he's saying that 5G is 10 times more powerful than 4G, which is completely inaccurate. 5G does run at a higher set of frequencies, 6 gigahertz to about 110 gigahertz in the spec as it stands right now. And uh, the thing about 4G is that the waveforms for 3G and 4G can actually penetrate building walls, things like masonry and wood frame and stuff like that, a lot easier than the 5G signal. The five, the, when the Internet of Things comes in, the problem will be that the transmitters will be right in your own home because the various items like appliances and your TV and all that kind of stuff will have transmitters in them. So it brings the 5G into closer proximity to the human body. But the higher speeds uh, means that the signal doesn't penetrate as well as something, a cell, a cell phone signal for a lower frequency, number one. And, and two, um, I really was unhappy that he was equating radiation sickness and radiation with uh, cell phone radiation because cell phone radiation is up to a point, and, and I, I'm going to, at a certain point, when we get into higher levels of 5G and 6G, we might see some ionizing possibilities. But as it stands right now, uh, I don't know of any records of uh, uh, ionization occurring due to exposure to electromagnetic fields as they exist in our current technology. So um, it's really um, kind of a hysterical mistake to equate standing next to your rod of uranium, Daniel, with uh, standing next to a cell phone. Um, that really, that's just unfortunate that he would make such a fearful equivalency. Dennis, jump in when Jenny's finished. I'm in, I'd be interested to hear. Okay, I, I just have one more thing. And, and one of the things that he mentioned is this, well, the thing about viruses. And, and uh, I think that's a misinterpretation. Now, I've been doing a lot of research uh, over the past year 
on how exposure to electromagnetic frequencies, uh, electromagnetic radiation changes cell permeability. Um, so human cells do react in the presence of electromagnetic fields by becoming more permeable. And that has a huge set of implications for human health. It basically makes our cells leaky. And, and there are several other implications involved with that. But I believe when, instead of calling it viruses, he's probably talking about exosomes. And exosomes are a cellular byproduct that indicate the cells are under stress. And viruses can provide that stress, but many, many other things provide that same stress that'll produce exosomes. So anyway, Interesting. Well, go for it, Dennis. <laughs> well, you know, let me elaborate a little bit about what you said about leaky cells. And I, I have some specifics that um, we can talk about with regard to that. And this is something that was published in terms of research in a journal that's uh, the title of the journal is Electromagnetic Biology and Medicine. And this is a paper that was accepted July 12th, 2020. So pretty recent. And it's by uh, four researchers that are associated with the Department of Biomedical Sciences in Padova, Italy, University of Padova, Italy, and uh, another group from the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology in Okinawa, Japan. And uh, what they had to write was that um, they were talking about the research they did in extremely low frequency uh, EMF. So they're talking up to 300 hertz. And what they found with that uh, level of that, that, those frequency ranges up to 300 Hertz was that it impacted a particular potassium ion channel. And potassium ion channels are very important with regard to most cells in the, in the biological, you know, mammalian body and in other biological, uh, you know, Synaptic creatures. potentiation. And uh, those, those ion channels are very important for, you know, uh, muscle reaction, cardiovascular uh, reaction, you know, you're, you're managing your heartbeat. Uh, those, these are, these are what make those uh, uh, voltage potentials across the membrane possible that allow those things to function. Uh, so they investigated that and found, yes, uh, this, uh, this level of uh, frequency range up to 300 Hertz does have uh, an impact on those channels. And, and they wrote this, they said, for these reasons, the potassium channel has become a candidate therapeutic target, particularly for immunomodulation modulation and cancer treatment. Now, but we got to remember we're up to 300 Hertz, which is uh, quite low frequency compared to, you know, 2.4 gigahertz uh, Wi-Fi or five gigahertz wide Wi-Fi, or if we go up to the 5G uh, range of frequencies. So it's, it's quite a bit different, but it's, it's certainly interesting. And it shows that there are both good things going on with EMF and biological systems potentially, as well as the bad things with the electrophysiology of EMF exposure very lot of research going on and I don't think really we have a good grasp of things just yet there's a lot of discovery being made by the way the uh, assignment the frequency assignment for harp is elf yeah it was earth earth uh, resonant frequencies right like schumann resonance and all this kind of stuff like tesla and did did that surface communications yeah and they have a lot of like just in terms of communications they actually in the in the 40s and 50s they actually were worried about an atomic war at the time uh, disrupting transmissions through the air in hertzian waves and so they started doing the earth resonant frequencies and they found that they were thousands of times more efficient you didn't have to boost the signal the earth itself became the cell tower and um, the it didn't have any line of sight uh, issues like with her, higher hertzian frequencies uh, it has trouble going through a building or through 
through a hill or something, you know, um, whereas these earth resonant frequencies went right through, just passed right through like, like a knife through butter and uh, thousands of times more, more efficient. So I, I always wondered, you know, why they wouldn't take advantage of that or, or, or maybe they are, you know, maybe just not commercially. <laughs> yeah, commercially, they're not doing it, but the military has all those channels like yeah. kind of blocked off for themselves. And it's just a fascinating, fascinating technology. But yeah, um, they're, they're, we're very kind of behind the, the, the curve in terms of, you know, how do these biological systems interact with, um, with animals, with, with human cells? And I, I just wanted to play a second clip. It was from uh, Michael Claridge again, just to, he, he kind of goes a little, little further in depth. So let me hit the button. In Levin's cancer research, they show that changing wild type electrical fields can start and stop cancer cell growth. Highly malleable cells, such as stem cells and cancer cells, have less defined electrical potentials relative to their surroundings, whereas healthy, mature cells have higher electrical potentials. One of the hallmarks of cancer cells is that they have lost their relationship to the larger body. They are an out-of-control growth of cells that are part of nothing. They have no function beyond their self-interests. Here, Levin's results come very close to actually disproving Crick's central dogma with regard to the form and function, since electric fields external to the nucleus can destroy all form and function. So what he's talking about is, um, the, of course, the Levin Institute that I referred to in the opening at Tufts University and the things that he was doing. One of the fascinating things that he did was he, he sliced a, a flatworm, right? I mean, biologists love flatworm experiments. And so, um, you know, you chop off the head and a body will grow. You chop off the body and a head will grow. And um, so what he noticed was that one part of the flatworm was positively charged and the other part was negatively charged. And so he changed the polarity on a, a flatworm. He chopped off, you know, chopped a flatworm in half, and then he changed the part that was negative, had a negative polarity to a positive polarity and a head grew. So he had this monster, this monstrosity, as Charles Darwin would say, of a two-headed flatworm. There was a head on both sides. Um, you know, so this is, this is phenomenal. And you know, as well as I, as I said, you know, growing eyes on on a uh, the tail of a salamander or growing, you know, ears inside the stomach of a frog, like all these different things. There was a, a the Soviets actually did this in the 70s where they were actually beaming frequencies at the DNA of what should have been a frog zygote. And they actually made it look like a salamander-like creature by manipulating its DNA with, with these fields. And so it, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, like if on some level, um, you know, like what what are the effects on human health if you you know if, if you're constantly in these fields right and, and so you have these stem cells that are that are highly malleable and um you know if they're reacting in a negative way with these fields is it possible that that might turn into a cancer cell a stem cell might turn into a cancer cell if it has just kind of willy-nilly fields affecting it chapter two speculation I just say there's a lot of this is money on the opposite side to not do research on it because of Silicon Valley and the slowly the, the expanse of technology growing more and more. There is vested interest in them not to do research on it. If it turns out that there's negative side effects to it, then obviously they're going to lose money having to repair everything, redo it, and they don't want to do it. Class action suits. Exactly. It's better for them just to settle out of court, keep it quiet and keep building. 
Well, like they did with the uh, the Israelis had a study on cell phones um, causing tumors. And the cell phone industry like denied it up and down because, of course, they didn't want to be susceptible to a class action lawsuit. But it was replicated. Uh, it was replicated in Canada. It was replicated in the United States. It was replicated in Germany and Austria. And nevertheless, because cell phones are so lucrative, you know, we you know kind of like took it as a reasonable cost benefit analysis, kind of like automobiles killing hundreds of thousands of people a year. Yet we don't ban automobiles. So, Dennis, Jenny, do you want to weigh in? Have you ever looked into the SAR? specification that's put out by the uh, FCC? No. The specific absorbed radiation standard for cell phones? It's a joke. It's it's a complete joke. It's completely open to interpretation. It waffles. It doesn't talk about any particular absorbed radiation um, specific standards under specific conditions. It's complete caveat. It was completely bought and, and paid for by the cell phone industry. Interesting. So science, you know, by corporation, kind of like uh, Ingram Olkin, remember him from the uh, cigarette company, uh, Philip Morris, and he was the one who, who quote unquote, proved statistically that cigarettes don't cause cancer. Um, you know, kind of like the, his methodology. Look, I gave one person a cigarette. He smoked that one cigarette and didn't get cancer after smoking one cigarette. See, debunked. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dennis, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, that's okay. But I wanted to talk about the cancer connection just a little bit. Um, because you can actually uh, use, it appears, you can successfully use uh, certain frequencies as a cancer treatment. And there's a product on the market uh, that is FDA approved for all that's worth, uh, whatever we wish to debate about that. But nonetheless, this product is on the market that uses a frequency range of 100 to 300 kilohertz uh, for treating glioblastomas. And what this research found- well, it's, it's, you know, I don't know what it's based on precisely. I know that the uh, brand name of this thing is Optune. Um, it uh, uses this, uh, these, this frequency range that I'm talking about, 100 to 300 kilohertz. And what it does is it disrupts my, mitosis. Yeah. And uh, some of the research that uh, has been done on that uh, says that, um, you know, uh, let me see if I can find this part here. I've got the paper in front of me. It was a really good, interesting part, what they wrote. Um, the fields used have been shown to disrupt glioblastoma cells during mitosis, resulting in apoptosis, uh, cell death, and defects in centrioles and mitotic spindles, which means mitosis can't be used to be completed. And apparently up to 18,000 people are already using this treatment. So if we want to extend uh, you know, kind of analysis from the fact that this treatment exists and is apparently uh, helping people, you can definitely see that there is a relationship between EMF at certain frequencies and cancer. So both on, you know, probably on the good side of things and on the bad side of things. So it's, it's like most other technologies, you know, you can derive uh, very important benefits from it when it's used properly and used improperly, it may represent uh, problematic uh, occurrences. So those are always things to keep in mind, I think, with any technology. Well, Jenny was referring to Royal Rife. He was a guy back in the 1930s, and he created the technology for that, um, you know, the basis, the conceptual basis for that. And he actually documented where he was using sound wave frequencies. He picked up the resonance frequency of cancer cells, and then he would blast sound waves at that resonant frequency, and he would disrupt the cancer cells. And it was painless odorless, colorless, could be done through your clothes. You could just be, you know, and he has these, I mean, fascinating, um, you know, pictures of people who were given, you know, kind of, you know, like no hope from the standard medical community. 
And he would show you the, their cancer reversing, these huge, nasty lesions just going kind of backwards. And so he was attacked um, by the, the Rockefellers, you know, who wanted only pharmaceuticals to be the only solution, because, of course, that's what they sold. So, you know, to the man with the hammer, everything is a nail. So the man selling pharmaceuticals, then pharmaceuticals are the only answer for everything rather than fields, you know, especially something that was, you know, cheap and, and, and free and, and painless. It was it was such a brilliant thing. And so they suppressed it. They went after him. They, they looked, you know, through a million lawyers at him. They discredited him in the press. They used all these things to, to just, you know, destroy him. And, you know, yeah. And suffice to say, I was watching this uh, Scottish gentleman. He was was a a biophysicist and he was talking about how they were destroying cancer cells with sound frequencies, just like Royal Rife. And, um, and he said what the secret was, he said, um, it wasn't just to get the, the resonant frequency of the, the, the cell that you're trying to disrupt. He said that they actually had to use two different frequencies and they created a discordant kind of note, you know, like if, if, yeah, instead of it being harmonic, you know, like Pythagoras said, instead of, you know, a harmony will actually make a cell better, a, a dissonant, you know, two dissonant notes that, that create like a sharp, you know, note. Um, actually disrupt the the cell and that's what he said what the secret was that you were beaming two different sound frequencies at the at the cancer cell so i mean conceptually i mean it was brilliant and it was ahead of its time but you like sid said you run afoul of moneyed interests and they you know kind of like the cell phone um people think that the cell phone came after the landline but it actually preceded it tesla created radio based on a, a, a telephone the conception of a telephone but they they couldn't meter it um so they were worried that if, if we you know have these these radio radio phones that go out, if a person doesn't pay his bill, we can't shut off his service. So they went with the landline model. Yeah, JP Moore, exactly. And so they went with the landline model that we went with for like almost a century, you know, and so it took us so long to to get back to where we were, to get back to the future, you know. Um, And so you're seeing the same thing with Royal Rife, like that that thing that had been discredited and, oh, it's magic, it's influenced at a distance, you know, you can't see it, so it must not be real, but you can see this pill, so the pill, you know. Um, and had no side effects, you know. I mean, it was it was it was brilliant, and it was the way that the world actually probably works. And that's what I said. Getting back to Hume, we have this 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 prejudice in in favor of the visual, right? So if you can see a pill, you know, you you think, oh well, that that pill, even, even if the pill is giving you rectal bleeding, you know, and the pill is giving you leukemia, you know, uh, for you, you know, t- take this pill and it'll help you sleep at night, but it'll cause you know lung cancer. Um, and meanwhile, we had these these clean you know, treatments, these clean, painless, cheap, you know, absolutely, you know, groundbreaking treatments, but because they were invisible, you know, it was a lot easier to con people and say, oh, if it's invisible, it must be fake. You know, it's, it's, you know, electromagnetic fields. That's just magic, you know? And so it's, it's kind of frustrating that that century lag that we keep going with, you know? So, uh, did you want to weigh in, Sid? Pretty much everywhere else besides the U.S. and a few other countries has warnings about this. I mean, right now I'm looking at the National Institute for Public Health and the Environment from the Netherlands, and they have warnings about it on their website. Stating freaking that children exposed to it, what's the freaking range again? 0.3 to 0.4. Micro Tesla have a greater chance of leukemia. So there are documented cases where it is affecting health on a day, like a negatively, you know? Well, I, th- I think like Dennis makes a point, like any technology can be used for good or ill, right? So if you use exactly. if you use it indiscriminately and you don't know what you're doing, Right. It's kind of like giving people medicine that they're not you know, like giving people heart heart medication if they don't have a heart problem. You're going to hurt that person. So if, if these fields can be used to to kind of 
you know, help cells or kill cancer cells if you use them like a scalpel, right? But if you if you have people just in, kind of immersed in just random, you know, like have we studied that? Have we even kind of you know conceptually wrapped our minds around that? Because we think very linearly. We, we don't have. think, you know, we don't think dynamically. Okay, yeah, I have something on that. Studied that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, what Jenny's saying is basically as the governments become more and more dystopian, you know they have had to research this stuff for decades at least. So you know that they're probably using it to control the masses at some point, you know, negatively affecting them. Either they want to go with the pharma dollar and basically prop up the pharma industry, or they're doing it on purpose to negatively affect the masses' health so they're easier to control. Well, I saw something about that regarding weapons. Um, there was a, a thing, it's called like Jane's Manual of Weapons or something. Like every year they put out like these new weapons and almost half the patents are about energy weapons. So it's no longer bullets and missiles. It's it's all of a sudden fields. They, they're, they're using fields in very sophisticated ways to, you know, make crowd dispersal, make people have diarrhea, <laughs> make people, their flesh feel like it's on fire, you know, create de- depressive states and all, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that comes before the burning. <laughs> but um, one of the things I was, I was reading, one of my favorite books is Thinking in Systems by Donella Meadows. And Donella Meadows is a bad guy. She was uh, one of the Club of Rome founders and, uh, you know, one of the people population reduction back in the 70s. And, and so a lot of evil, unfortunately, has risen out of that kind of, you know, that circle of cybernetic people. Um, but the book, nevertheless, is, is very, it, it's a very good book. And so I made both of my children read it. And um, she talks about that in, in the book. A, a theme is that we see reality as linear, right? Um, th- this is a theme that's also touched on uh, in The Fourth Turning by Howen Strauss, the historians. And so in the modern era, since the Industrial Revolution, we see history as a straight line. Oh, it's a straight line. Progress, you know, that's our dogma. And everything just goes in one line. And so you see Francis Fukuyama, the end of history, you know, whereas the, the ancients like kind of saw history as, as cyclical, right? There were, there were patterns. It repeated. And if you're aware that history is not linear, then you can actually learn from, from the past, right? Whereas if you think it's linear, then how can you learn if you're not looking at the, you know, because you think, oh, well, this moment is so, you know, you know, indisputably, you know, unique that this has never happened before. And of course it has. Um, and so Donella Meadows kind of hits that same theme. She, she looks at like linear thinking, like, and she gives the example of somebody trying to get rid, rid of the spruce budworm. And so what they're thinking is, okay, I'll I'll get rid of the spruce budworm. I'll put these pesticides in the woods and it'll kill the spruce budworm so that we can have these healthy spruce trees. You know, the lumber industry will will go. And so what they did was they they bombarded the place with with pesticides, thinking there were only two variables, the spruce budworm and the pesticide. And of course, there was more spruce budworms and they were like, how could this be? And the answer was because you killed the, 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 the budworm's predators, right? The natural predators that kept it in check. So there were more variables in play, but you had this linear conception. So you actually you know made the, the situation worse because you thought there were only two variables, but there were 10, there were 12, there were 20, you know? And so so we as people, as I said, just to get, get back to that thing, we're so visual and we're so linear that we don't think uh, in terms of dynamic systems. We don't think in terms of the synergy of all these different, you know, kind of things interplaying, you know, these variables. And uh, and, it, and it just leads us to, to caveman thinking in so many cases. I just want to bring up a, a modern example of that exact kind of thinking that uh, is really troubling. And what just happened in Florida a few months ago was uh, the release of genetically modified mosquitoes with the idea being that uh, these genetically modified mosquitoes would carry 
uh, genes that would disallow future generations of mosquitoes so that the mosquito population uh, could potentially die off. Um, you know, I believe what they did was a, a test, although it was a fairly large test, uh, as opposed to a full-scale implementation. But, you know, thinking in systems, did they really consider the complexity of the environment in which those mosquitoes live and all of the various ways in which those mosquitoes are uh, related to other uh, bits and pieces of, you know, what we might call and other people have called the food web or the, the food chain and what the results might be if you just go ahead and wipe out an entire species in a particular ecosystem. Uh, you know, the, the short-sighted thing is, well, mosquitoes are bothersome, let's get rid of them. But maybe that doesn't account for all the ways in which mosquitoes interact with that particular ecosystem. So I think that's a good example of what you just talked about, Daniel. Ginny? Well, there are two things I think that fly in the face of the linear thinking which has bitten us so many times. I, I think uh, particularly of the Challenger O-rings or the crash of one of the Mars probes where we didn't con convert meters to feet, that kind of thing. But right now, uh, I think we're looking at AI and quantum computing, both showing uh, simultaneous processing, many parallel processing paths that, and uh, entirely different concepts that are leading science by the nose into different ways of uh, configuring itself. It, it is, it's kind of frustrating watching because um, I was explaining this to my kids and, you know, the cliche that the A students end up working for the C students, right? So you'll have, you know, this brilliant physicist and he ends up working for Donald Trump. You know, or he ends up working for, for Jared Kushner. And so you have, you know, these really brilliant people and they're subordinated to people who are not so brilliant. You have these people who do, who are capable of dynamic thinking, but they're subordinated to people who do not have dynamic thinking, like, you know, the military industrial complex or, you know, some political institution or NGO. And so I was explaining to my kids, like, what, what is ethics? And so Cicero says that ethics is the ability to kind of hack your brain, right? So the, the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, uh, does executive function, right? Um, and so this is where, where you concentrate, where you have like, you know, higher thought. And so if you can use higher thought to, to shape habit, right? That's hacking the back of the brain. So the habit formation is in the back of the brain, the lizard brain, the primitive part with lust and fear and aggression and sex and all the, all these kind of things. Cigarette smoking is, is back there as well. Drug addiction. That's why it's so hard to get rid of it because it's as wired in as blinking or heartbeat. You know, all, all these functions are there. So what Cicero was talking about was creating a, a, a second nature, he called it. And we still use that phrase today, second nature, you know, whereby you can create good habits using, you know, first the, the executive function in the prefrontal cortex, but then through repetition, you can wire it into the back of the brain. Now, one why I'm mentioning this is I was thinking, is it possible to do the opposite? Is it possible that you can use the lizard brain, which is aggression and fear and, and all these negative things? Can that hack the front of the brain? And then I thought, yeah, that's basically the military industrial complex. You're, you're, you're having these, these horrible people, these selfish, cynical kind of narcissists, and they're actually instead of instead of the good people influencing them and reforming them, you're having them go to the the higher level people, and you're you're saying, oh, we have this great technology. Oh, oh you could help millions, or we could get rich and we could weaponize that. <laughs> and so it's basically the lizard part of the brain hacking executive function, and that's what we what we see a lot of times, you know. And that's what what is holding us back as a civilization, I think, you know. And and we need to be honest about addressing that. Gives a whole new idea about lizard invasion. Yeah, or the lizard people, right? <laughs> uh, but I, 
think they've been trained that way though. They're indoctrinated to think on uh, just the think tunnel vision, you know, where they only focus on one thing. This is your path. This is your only possibility. And so people go through life and they're just living one track lives. They work one field. They, they don't even experiment. They don't even think about experimenting. And then when they get out of work, they go home, sleep, wake up, watch sports, root for their favorite team because they're living vicariously through them, you know? Yeah. No, that's so, a that's a great point, Sid. Well, I was going to mention uh, Toffler, uh, Alvin Toffler, uh, who's you know kind of the social scientist and uh, futurist, and he was talking about that. He said, and in the third wave, he talks about uh, the industrial revolution and how it led to specialization. And so Adam Smith in the Wealth of the Nations, he talks about you know oh isn't this great you know segregation of duties and you know we have you know, one person and all he does is all, all day is make a pin you know he makes a little part of the pin and he just does that on the on the assembly line all day all day and he gets really good at making that one pin. But Toffler points out that specialization really kind of put blinders on people. It siloed everybody. And so you you become, you know, what's that quote? You know, specialization is knowing more and more about less and less. So, um, or, or there's another great quote. I think it's Will Rogers. He said, if you really want to see somebody, you know, look stupid, take someone who's specialized outside of his field and then ask him questions. And he, you know, he looks like an idiot, you know, because they're they're so, they're not cross trained anymore. Like we used to be, you know, Renaissance men or the liberal arts, the seven liberal arts, the original ones that the Romans taught were about cross training you in mathematics and geography and music and and philosophy, you know. And so you became this really well rounded person who could see the bigger picture. And so now, since the Industrial Revolution, we've become siloed like horses in a stall with blinders on, and we can just see one little tiny part. And so it makes us very vulnerable to manipulation by people who. Can can see the bigger picture. And those generally tend to be kind of sociopathic billionaires and oligarchs and, you know, and to a lesser extent, you know, the more talented politicians, you know, but for the most part, the general population is, is very kind of, you know, blinded. Exactly. And then they're not even driven by their logical side. They're driven more by emotion, which I believe is a, I mean, emotion is a great thing, but you have to understand that it's a powerful tool that can be used against you. I mean, for instance, if someone's watching their favorite team, their favorite football team, and they lose. They feel negatively, even though they weren't actually playing. Like, yeah, you can root for a team and everything, but by doing so, you're playing into it. You're allowing yourself to be part of it. It applies to everything in life. Well, and consider that we have an entire profession with millions upon millions of uh, practitioners in that profession dedicated 100% to the study and application of manipulation of human desire and emotion. And that's the marketing profession. And it's in every business and it's in every government and it's worldwide. And uh, again, we have millions and millions of people dedicated to learning how to manipulate other people's emotions and, and, and desires. Uh, that says, I think, a lot about where we are as a culture. Well, Edward Bernays actually talks about that. He addresses that in his 1926 book, Crystallizing Public Opinion. And he says in there um, that for the first time through propaganda, through these psychological techniques, for the first time, we have a new form of government that goes beyond the classical forms described by Aristotle thousands of years ago. And he said, now we can manipulate people through mass media. We can have them thinking the same thoughts. Here's where I tie this all together. Like, I'm pretty sure I will think about it, but Jenny, uh, can... Can electromagnetic waves affect cog like cognition, like make you depressed? Yeah. So they're so they they have a whole team of professions teaching you teaching them how to affect you and how to manipulate you emotionally while you're in a manipulated cognitive state, meaning that you're depressed and they know you're depressed, so they're so they're already messing with you. They already know what to target you with. Well, and feeling? they can actually stimulate physical organs too. 
which is extremely important when somebody has a sexual response to a product. Wow. And just like a transcranial magnetic resonance I was talking about, like where they're doing these things where they can make people not believe in God through, you know, manipulating their, right. their brain uh, through, through magnetic fields. You know, they can make them like I- illegal immigrants. They can, they can manipulate them in all sorts of ways using these, these new techniques that you're, they're invisible, so you're not even aware of it. So it, it really is something that is an assault upon free will. It's an assault upon liberty. It's an, an assault upon your autonomy. And, uh, you know, it is, it is an incredibly dangerous, um, you know, kind of past that we've arrived at. I think that's why we have so many cell phones. It's yeah. been intentional. It's been intentionally done in order to manipulate the masses. Chapter three, conclusion. So what, what would you, what, what, what are the conclusions? And I'm going to start with, uh, with Ginny regarding, you know, the, the issue of electromagnetic fields and, uh, you know, kind of biology. Uh, well, there, it's incontrovertible. I mean, so many studies out there talk about, uh, you know, people have an organ. The organism reacts to the fields around it. And we started out with the Schumann resonance uh, when we were uh, non-technical, when we had no electromag- artificial electromagnetic influences in our world. We, we were still reactive to uh, the signal that is... 7.83 hertz around the earth and we are electric um, organisms we have a nerve propagation electrical signal rate we have synaptic transfer we have potentiation in cells we have all the cognition in the brain that's based on electricity so there's no way we cannot be affected by electromagnetic fields because basically a field is a standing wave and that is uh, an area a locale that is infused with what I call a chronic signal. Thing about natural electricity is that it's usually very wideband and uh, quite a wideband of frequencies and it's incidental in that you might have a passing thunderstorm or there may be a solar flare or something like that that is an incidental thing that comes and goes. But we are washed through and through with electromagnetic frequencies that don't vary the standard carrier wave, the standard frequencies every day for just about every minute. I like that uh, that phrase, chronic. What did you call it? A chronic wave, yeah, chronic. a field? It's yeah, a chronic electromagnetic field. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, okay, so to Dennis, uh, can you can you add to that? Well, what I would add to that is the concept that we've kind of bitten around the edges of a little bit, and that is science versus scientism. And the scientism being sort of the dogmatic approach to uh, scientific knowledge versus science itself, which is, you know, understanding that we don't know everything and there are many areas of investigation that are valid. And when it comes to biology in general and uh, the biological relationship to the wider environment, uh, which includes electromagnetic fields, there is a great deal of science left to be done. And uh, we see the potential application in treatment of cancer. Uh, We see the potential application in the way cancers may arise and in other effects. And we have by no means understood everything. And uh, you can tell we haven't understood everything because we can't even uh, agree to treat COVID in a consistent way, in a scientific way, despite all of the uh, recourse the mainstream media and the political uh, establishment has to the scientism side of things, the dogma side of things, uh, what's politically expedient. If, if we want to do a better job uh, moving forward and understanding 
how we relate to our environment and how all biology relates to its environment, we would lose the dogma when it comes to science. We would lose scientism and we would focus more on the actual progress of getting science done in the traditional way. Uh, that would pay a great deal of, of dividend to us as a culture. And uh, I, I think that's a key element for moving forward in all areas, electromagnetism included. So Sid, do you want to close us out? Uh, yeah, I just want to say that there are multiple reports on these fields affecting people's cognition and that, think about it, if your cognition is impaired and they have people already who make it their careers to learn how to manipulate you, you're in a state where you're vulnerable. And I would recommend everyone just get out the cities if you can, save up money, move out, try and get away. <laughs> but, I mean, over time, these studies will become more and more and it'll be proven that they affect it. But probably not for at least another two decades or they'll make the it meantime, public it's being used on us <laughs> exactly and as the uh, graphene continues to be introduced into people's deep brainstem areas we will be witnesses to it yeah so we're all about the manipulation yeah we're going to be more and more susceptible in a more targeted scalpel like you know way you know um in the 20th century in the early 21st century everything's been kind of slapdash you know but they're getting more refined. Refinements are, are coming about, kind of like in DNA. I mean, the, the, the leaps and bounds in DNA from the 80s to, to the early 2000s is just phenomenal. You know, they're, they're refining the technology. And so right now we've, we've had, you know, scattershot, you know, kind of, you know, people not really knowing what they're doing, um, things, you know, going here, there and everywhere. And, you know, people be, and that's, that's what I was theorizing. That's my conclusion is that, you know, um, we people were probably getting sick. You know, there's people who we kind of laughed at. You know, there's people who were like, oh, I'm sensitive to EMF fields. And you kind of would see the lady coming in and she was an eccentric and, you know, maybe with a tinfoil cap on or something. You know, and she would be complaining about getting hives from, from Wi-Fi or these fields. But, you know, who knows? I mean, as as I'm looking at the totality of a lot of the circumstantial evidence, um, there might be people who are very, very, very sensitive, you know, in ways that perhaps other people aren't. Or they're just more conscious, you know, of, of changes in their body and their physiology like i wasn't conscious that i needed electrolytes i was just like oh i have cramps you know <laughs> and you know because i was just you know drinking you know kind of coffee all day and, and bad stuff and it wasn't occurring to me you know um but somebody who's more in tune with their body would say hey you know i'm, I'm noticing little physiological changes that are subtle but they're there they're real and um i don't think initially that they were using it in an evil way i just think we weren't thinking you know we just had all these great new gadgets and they were interacting in weird ways and fields were overlapping and, and you know and it might have had deleterious effects but now um, we're at a level of sophistication where they're actually thinking of you know kind of refining the technology and the social manipulation that comes along with that you know uh, like I was saying before with all the, the half the patents being about you know uh, energy weapons um, things that are invisible you know uh, silent weapons for quiet wars you know and the public is is totally unaware and ill-equipped Ill to be able to to counteract it and uh, we have a political class that isn't interested in counteracting it because it's just such a convenient tool you don't have to persuade people anymore like in a republic you have to have persuasion and i was watching this um this one woman and just really quickly i'm going to pontificate her for a second we're in closing but um i was teaching my boy rhetoric um and so we were reading, nice. yeah, we were reading Quintilian, right? And just the, the the technology that we lost, just in terms of persuasion. And one of the things that he mentioned that just blew my mind was um, he was talking about a, a a jurist or a lawyer, you know, at the time. Um, and he would practice his speeches and he would actually have like a, a, a musician 
uh, playing certain notes. And he would practice the speech and he would try to imitate like the, the notes and the, and the key changes, right? And this would make him very effective because he understood kind of in a Pythagorean way that frequencies and, and you know, sound waves and stuff, that they have certain physiological effects on people. And so I was just fascinated by that. I was like, he would, he would you know, practice his speeches with a flute player. And so I went onto YouTube trying to find, you know, any kind of, you know, continuation of this and it's just been lost i mean like all the all the debate oh, things no. that you, i have an entire book on it and i've studied it for years well no I, I just mean in terms of like i was looking at videos on debate club at, at school whether uh, it's the college well, level the, the tonal basis of human speech is a monster field yeah, well, well, like what, but the, but the point I'm making is that at the time, right? If you took a class in oratory or rhetoric, um, you would be taught these techniques. Whereas now, like I, I was looking at college debate kids, and they're like, "Oh, brush your hair, you know, wear a clean wow. shirt." These were their brilliant insights. And you look at, at the refinements that the Roman Empire had. And so then I, I looked at a, a professor, and she was like a you know kind of a historian, and she was talking about how when a republic is there, you have to be very good at persuasion. So rhetoric is a very respected art. You have all the sophists in ancient, you know, Greece. You have the, the the people studying this like Quintilian in Rome and stuff. And she said, however, when you transition away from a republic where you have to persuade people to go along with you and you transition into an empire where now it's brute force, it's no longer persuasion, it's brute force, then the art of, of rhetoric just dies. And that's what happened in the Middle Ages. I mean, we, we transitioned away, you know, in the West, I'll say, you know. Yeah, and um, that's when you get heavy metal music in Phrygian mode. Well, yeah, well, exactly, you know, but 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 just the the fact that we're I think we're transitioning away from, you know, our our political class feeling like they have to persuade us and they're using oh, yeah. and they're using these they tools. They yeah, they're using like sound wave frequencies and all these things and and for them, for for somebody who's an untalented politician, that's a boon, right? Somebody who's not charismatic, somebody who who can't move the crowds who isn't loved he loves the idea of manipulating people through sound waves or through propaganda technique you know and and that's a very very dangerous place to be in a very dangerous you know kind of past that we've arrived at you know for our republic so i'm going to end that let me let me add one thing to that sure and that is something that i see coming in the future and that is the use of subsonic sound emanations while politicians are speaking to motivate the crowd in a completely unconscious way And with that, we'll close out the subject of electromagnetic fields on human bodies and thank our panel, Jenny Silcox, Dennis Barrett, and the mysterious Sid. As for me, I'm Daniel Natal, and I'll see you on the next episode of Under the Iceberg.